0: Julie Father, we just come to you tonight, Lord, and we just praise you. God, we praise you for the sunshine and just the many ways that you have just blessed us. God, I just um, praise you for your son. I praise you for this message, for this scripture, and just the ability to be able to study um, your word, Lord, and to learn about just the great sacrifice um, that you and and Jesus made. God, I just pray that I would just be a... um, that be a vessel for you, Lord. That my words would be your words, Lord, and that um, they would just um, they, they would just sit with us as we go throughout our week. Um, in your name, we pray. Amen. Okay, so tonight we're gonna dive back into maybe the most heart wrenching but beautiful part of Matthew: Jesus's crucifixion. We're going to talk about what Jesus experienced the details of each individual who interacted with Jesus, and the details of the crucifixion included by Matthew. For context, this is what we consider Good Friday during Holy Week. This section of verses are the basis that we understand Jesus' true sacrifice for us. They are gut-wrenching, they're overwhelming, they're jaw dropping, and you have probably read them before, or maybe you haven't, but I assume that you have if you did your lesson. So, um, and some of you, they may seem dull and overly repeated. And speaking for myself, I feel like I could quote these um, sets of verses with my eyes closed. However, after spending time in the Word and reflecting in my quiet time, I realized that there are a lot of things that I have missed when I have previously read this scripture. I hope that tonight, if this is your first time or your hundredth time reading the scripture, that you are able to walk away with a heart full of love and joy for our Savior. While reading the scripture, I realized that I have not spent a lot of time reading about the crucifixion in the book of Matthew. Matthew's account of the crucifixion is short to the point, and it really does lack detail. But Bible scholars way smarter than I have determined that this um, is to make a point Matthew de-emphasized the gory details and focused on the physical and verbal abuse Jesus suffered. He made sure that we could see the horror that Jesus experienced physically and mentally on the cross. To deliver us from our sins, in Matthew 1.21, it says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was sent as a ransom for many to pay the debt for our disobedience. Jesus accepted our curse from men and paid the ransom for our sins that we could be com- be in companionship with God He went to the cross for us abandoned by his friends and cursed by his enemies. We're going to pick up where Connor left off. Jesus had j- just experienced a brutal beating from the Roman soldiers after Pilate so kindly washed his hands of him and sent an innocent man to death. The whole time, Jesus remained silent and took the beating, the beating for our sins. So we're going to get started in our first section, Christ's suffering, Matthew 27, 32 through 44. So it says, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Matthew 7, 27, 32. As we go through each part of our scripture for tonight, we're going to focus on the different characters in Jesus' crucifixion. And we've already made it to our first portrait, Simon of Cyrene. Can you imagine walking through the very crowded streets of Jerusalem and being forced by Roman soldiers to carry a man's cross? Simon was probably just minding his own business, attending the Passover celebrations, and taking care um, of what he needed to do for Passover. What an intense moment to be pushed into the service by the Roman soldiers to carry a man's cross. Simon must have seen firsthand the horror that Jesus was experiencing. And maybe might think too, he might've thought, why do I want to be a part of this? And at this point, Jesus has been flogged. He's been stripped of his garments. He'd been beaten down in other um, gospel accounts. It emphasized that Jesus could barely walk. He had been up all night and his inability to carry the cross showed his depleted state. The phrase, pick up your cross and follow him, is used frequently in Christian lingo. And in this moment, that is exactly what Simon did. Simon carried Jesus' identity, his concerns, and his burdens. Just like Simon, we should be concerned with what burdens the Lord's heart. What can we be doing to carry the burdens of the Lord and further his kingdom? How are you picking up your cross and following him today? Simon carried Jesus' cross outside the city gate to Golgotha, which is a super important part of the crucifixion story because it represents the sin offering that Jesus asked the Israelites to complete when he first gave um, them the law. And um, and it actually was followed to this time. Sorry, I thought I had it. Oh, I do have a picture. Okay. Um, and so this sin would take place outside the camp. So when Jesus comes out of the city gates, this shows the completion of that prophecy and that he is a sacrificial lamb. And so... We know that he was crucified at Golgotha. So he's coming out of the gates here. The gates of Jerusalem have really changed throughout the years, as you can imagine. And so um, it's kind of now Golgotha is actually in the gates of Jerusalem. But at that time, it was outside and it's kind of like right out there. And so they came. This was the temple and they kind of walked through the upper city. So we are going to talk about those great Roman soldiers now that we have talked about Simon. So they have arrived. Um, it says that in Matthew 27, 34 through 37, there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divide up his clothes by casting lots and sitting down. They kept watch over him there above his head. They placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Here we see the Roman soldiers offer Jesus a drink, but Jesus refuses. This drink would be considered a hypnotic drug that would cause the individual who drank it to not fully feel the pain of crucifixion. We can assume that Jesus did not drink it because he wanted to be fully conscious during his crucifixion. Which sounds crazy, but it makes sense. Jesus wanted to fully accept the weight of our sins as he died for us. After offering him the drink, the soldiers crucified Jesus. Crucifixion is considered the most demeaning and horrible death punishment that the Romans created. Actually, Roman citizens would never be crucified. Only criminals that were not of Roman descent because it was such a horrific um, event. There are multiple different ways to be crucified and different types of crosses as well. Lots and lots of research has been completed to better understand Jesus' crucifixion. And we believe that he was in fact crucified on what we believe was a cross. Um, and that that cross was a um, beam and that would they put into the ground. And then there was a cross beam that he probably he was tied to and carried out of the city. And we can assume that that cross beam is what Simon carried out for him. And so we know that when he arrived at Golgotha, um, that he was nailed to the cross beam um, in each hand and then together in the ankles. Crucifixion was so horrible because when a victim was nailed to the cross, the weight of their entire body would be in the one nail on the ankles. So kind of their whole weight was down there. Um, This made it hard to breathe and many victims died of suffocation. think if you can think about when you feel like you can't breathe, I think you can understand why that would feel a little overwhelming um however a crucifixion could take up to 72 hours that's a really long time and along with being nailed to the cross the victim was stripped of their garments so i imagine that you like myself do not have a picture of jesus stark naked on the cross um and for the imagery in our brains um I feel like in those hung in churches and pictures of Jesus on the cross has been te- depicted in a way that um, he is his privates are covered. However, we know that this was not the case and he was naked, um, which as we can imagine was humili- humiliating and made his death that more awful. The Roman soldiers, they didn't care. Um, they were probably excited at the prospect of getting to use Jesus' garments at the time. Um, material was sought after and soldiers would have wanted to either keep Jesus's garments for themselves or sell them to make an extra buck. But what a humiliating moment for Jesus to watch a soldier cast lots for his clothes. Um, The one part of his clothing that was really um, important to them was probably his overcoat. It was a nicer um, jacket. And so that's what they think they cast lots for. And um, they cast lots for his clothes while he hung naked on the cross So the last part of the soldiers' interactions with Jesus was a sign that they posted on his cross. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. We can assume that this charge was carried um, around his neck outside of the city into Golgotha. And so Golgotha is where Jesus was crucified. It means the place of the skull. Dr. Hannah explains that in Latin, this means calvaria, which is where we get the word calvary from. There are many hymns and songs about Jesus going to Calvary, which is referring to his crucifixion. Another interesting thing about Golgotha is that we can assume that this is where Stephen is later killed in Acts. Also, Golgotha is outside of what they consider the Damascus Gate, which is a major highway into Jerusalem, which would help explain our next section of versage that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the passerbys. Um, that came in and out of the city, the religious leaders, and then the two robbers. So not only has Jesus, he's experienced all this stuff. He's been humiliated. Um, He suffered beatings, stripped naked, crucified on the cross. But now he's going to experience verbal abuse from these three different groups of people. Humans that he came to save and is currently dying on the cross for. The first group is the people passing by. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Matthew 27 39 through 40. We can see that the Jews held Jesus in contempt, they mocked his messianic claims. The words they used were from the devil's first temptation of Jesus back in Matthew 4. But I think what gives me pause, most of all, is what they're telling Jesus to do. How ironic ironic is it of them to ask him to come down from the cross and save himself? If Jesus gets off the cross, which we know that he could, then what his father intended for him to do is over, and Satan wins, and God's hope, our hope, is gone, How often do I try to manipulate the situation to fit my needs? When do I ask God to let Jesus get off the cross because I don't like the way things are working out in my life? And we see this uh, mentality continue with the religious leaders as they call out the same insults and remarks saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants for him, if he, if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God, Matthew 27:42 through 43. The religious leaders not only insulted him, but mocked his miracles and power to heal. They too taunted him to come down from the cross and challenge Jesus to have God rescue him. We know that at this heart-wrenching time for Jesus, that God is not going to save him. Actually, God is going to be separated from his son, a hard and awful moment for Jesus. I wonder if at this moment, the religious leaders truly felt like they had won. They must have been proud of themselves, but we know that it's not by their scheming that Jesus was crucified, but it was by God's perfect plan even though right now his plan seems awful as he watches his son on the cross. The last group of people to verbally abuse Jesus was the two men beside him. We are told that they were robbers or they might have been rebellious um, freedom fighters for the Jews. In other Gospels, we learn more details about the two men, but in Matthew's account, we know that they were also crucified with Jesus and that they too heaped on insults on him along with the others passing by. Even though Matthew de-emphasizes the gory details of Jesus's suffering, it is still overwhelmingly, overwhelming and unfathomable the amount of physical and verbal abuse that Jesus takes while on the cross, silently taking the burden of our, for our sin. We know that Christ's suffering was the only way for our salvation, and that is our first principle for tonight. Christ's suffering was the only way for our salvation. We may wonder what the different groups of people saw. Did they see a savior or instead did they see a convicted man hanging on the cross and gasping for breath? What do you see? What I hope you see is God in flesh, the son of God, sent to fulfill his father's plan to bring you to himself. I feel weary knowing that Jesus shouldered the weight of this burden and Satan just taunted, mocked, and isolated him from his father. In Hebrews 12, two through three, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Knowing that the suffering that Christ endured did not make him give us up, then now knowing that nothing will. So as we move into our next section, Matthew 27, 45 through 56, Christ's separation. I want you to cling to these words of hope and peace, that because of Jesus's death on the cross, we know that he will never leave us, which leads us to a point in our story where Jesus and God are separated. In Matthew 27, 45 through 46, it says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eleni, Eleni, lama sabachthani,' which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As you might have picked up in your lesson, the darkness across the land is considered a symbol of the judgment um, of God. God is our next portrait that we're going to look at. In Amos 8, 9-10, it prophesied about this day and shares how God felt. In that day, it declares, the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning on all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloths and shave your heads I will make that time like morning for any and only son and the end of the day like a bitter day. God's heart was breaking. His son was dying on the cross for his people. Also, some scholars believe that this supernatural event was God's way of shielding his eyes from watching the horrors of his only son die on the cross. But God knew that his son dying on the cross would be the ultimate price to be paid for the sins of his people which moves us into the portrait of Jesus' final moments on the cross. This section of scripture is heart-wrenching. Jesus' cry out to the Father from being separated from him. In other Gospels, Jesus only speaks seven times, and in Matthew, his only his fourth utterance is recorded, so he doesn't speak very much. Matthew fe- felt that his utterance, um, this utterance by Jesus showed the death of his separation from his Father. This was not a separation that caused a loss of faith, but instead was a loss of intimacy with God. Jesus' cry was begging for that separation to end. Your lesson had you look at Psalm 22. I hope you had the time to sit in these verses and see the heart of Jesus through David's words that were written many years before Jesus' crucifixion. We see the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross in its final moments, and can only imagine the unbelievable sacrifice that he made. As Jesus is experiencing his last moments, the crowd thinks he has called out to Elijah and offers him wine vinegar on a stick. This is an allusion to Psalm 69, 21. They put gal in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst, which suggests that suffering expressed in this verse foreshadows the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross. Also, we notice by the stick that Jesus's cross must have been elevated Um, since they needed a stick to reach his mouth. After this interaction, Jesus gives up his spirit. He dies in full control of his senses. No one took his life. Instead, he laid his life down. Immediately, his death brought unusual phenomena. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Matthew 27, 51 through 53. First, the curtain in the temple ripped. This temple separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews. It was 20 feet high and very thick. This signified the end of the, uh, the current function of the temple. The temple had fulfilled its function as a place for God's people to commune with him. But now, because of Jesus' sacrifice, the temple was not needed. It showed that now God dwells in each of us through the Holy Spirit. His presence is no longer identified with a geographic center. Access to God was made available to all, whether Jew or Gentile. This also signified that judgment is pending, as Jesus predicted during his ministry, a sign of a new opening of entrance into God's present, into God's presence. Jesus' death brought in a new age and began a new era of temple worship. There was no need for God's people to bring sacrifices before the Lord because his son is the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Our salvation was purchased by Jesus. He was that final sacrifice. Second, the shaking of the earth suggests God's intervention and triggered the opening of tombs. Their shakiness causes the opening of graves and saints to be resurrected. This is a pre-shadow to Jesus' resurrection. And even in a horrific time, there is still hope that Jesus brings. All these events signify that Jesus was the Son of God. And we see that um, this, all the things going on, it really struck the onlookers as well. We hear the centurion cry out surely he was the son of God in Matthew 27:54. The language that the centurion uses in his confession is the same as Jesus's transfiguration in Matthew 17:6 with Elijah and Moses. Also, this is the first time that someone outside of the Jewish community recognizes Jesus as the son of God. This signifies that a new community is forming. Those are not those that are not just Jewish can be a part of God's family. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus made this way. Matthew makes sure to include the important onlookers to Jesus' death. No, it wasn't the disciples. They were hiding because, remember, they're scared. But instead, it was the women of Jesus' ministry. These women who traveled with Jesus and financially supported him, we notice that throughout Jesus' arrests, hearings, trials, and crucifixion, there is no mention of any woman opposing Jesus, only men. But maybe after reading this, you're still pondering, why did Jesus go through all this pain and suffering? For me, the answer is so that we don't have to. Jesus Christ died the death we deserved. He not only experienced physical death, which is a consequence of sin that we will come to us all one day, but he died a spiritual death, which is a consequence, which is a separation from God. This separation from God is just the just penalty for our rampant sin, that poison that has brought so much wreckage into our minds, our actions, and our lives. But thanks be to God, he sent his perfect son to pay this costly price on our behalf so that we are saved from eternal separation and we are reconciled to God. So our second principle for tonight is Christ's separation from God purchased our reconciliation to God. Christ's separation from God purchased our reconciliation to God. Jesus broke the barrier between God and sinners. By trusting in Him, we are forever in God's immense grace, love, and mercy. How can your heart and mind embrace this truth and seek out the sin in your life that you haven't confessed that makes you feel distanced from God? Is there something that is holding you back from truly embracing the amazing reality of Jesus' sacrifice? As we reflect on what Christ achieved to our reconciliation to God, we continue to finish this chapter in section 3, Matthew 27, 57 through 66, Christ's silence, as we see two very different portraits Portraits after Jesus' crucifixion. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his new own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Matthew 27, 57 through 61. First, we're going to look at Joseph and his faith. We are told that Joseph is a rich man, and we know from Luke that he was part of the Sanhedrin. Can be assumed that this was a big step for Joseph because he was risking his status um, by going to Pilate for Jesus's body. This is also while Jesus' chosen chosen disciples are hiding. Joseph steps out of the boat and goes and gets Jesus's body. From other gospels, we told we're told that Nicodemus does help Joseph. Jesus's body would have been left on the cross overnight according to would not have been left on the cross overnight according to Roman law. So Pilate would have been able to hand over Jesus's body to Joseph. Joseph takes his body, wraps it in linen cloth and places Jesus's Jesus in Joseph's own tomb. This was a big deal because Jesus' body would be considered unclean so that Joseph would not be able to use this expensive tomb, even if there was lots of different rooms there, um, ever again. There were a couple cool connections um, to Jesus' burial. First, Jesus is buried in a garden, and we know that God's story starts in a garden, the Garden of Eden. Second, Jesus was buried among the rich, which is the Jewish mindset implied that he was the most blessed because the more rich you are, the more blessed you are. And this is also a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 53, 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. though so he had done no violence, nor any, was any deceit in his mouth. Joseph would have been in a rush because the Sabbath was quickly approaching. Um, Joseph still followed the Jewish law strictly, though, and made sure that his that Jesus' burial process followed that. And as we saw at the cross, the women faithfully remained at the tomb. It's not documented when the women left the tomb, but as we continue to read to the end of Matthew 27, we can assume that they left around when the guards were posted. So we know that the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to the pilot and they said, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Matthew 27, 62 through 66. 6. Jesus is buried by his friends, but don't worry, he is really guarded by his enemies. And as we look at this last portion of the Pharisees, I cannot help but just chuckle as I read. Um, What an amazing God that we have. The Pharisees are so concerned about Jesus, who they call the deceiver, which that's kind of funny. Um, They're so worried about him returning that they go to Pilate to request security for the tomb from Jesus' disciples, who are currently scared and not showing their faces. So it makes complete sense right? So I guess at least to the Pharisees' credit, they did remember that Jesus had predicted that he would rise in three days. So they were listening. Um, though as before, they're missing the point that Jesus would rise again alive in three days and that he would be able to get out of the tomb. We can imagine that this appointment to Pilate was very formal in nature and that Pilate's pretty done with the Pharisees at this point. He, they have pretty much been bombarding him for the last couple days. We see here two enemies of the gospel working hand in hand, the lying leadership, and then the power of money that Pilate has to just give them a guard. The Sanhedrin hoped to be ahead of the game if the disciples tried to move Jesus' body and prevent an uprising. However, God's plan simply cannot be changed no matter how much effort people may expend Their actions to secure the tomb only serve to confirm that Christ really died and didn't escape and recover from his wound with the help of his followers. And not only that, that the sealing and guarding the tomb um, as ordered by Pilate also sets the stage for the only explanation for why the tomb was empty three days later, that Jesus is really alive. Mankind is is incapable of annulling God's plans. However, I know I do. We try to prevent the truth from conquering. All such efforts are doomed to fail. Even though we know in Matthew 28 that Sunday is coming, we're still on Friday at the burial site of the Lord. And the truth is, is that Christ's burial confirms he died and endured the penalty for our sin, which is our final principle for tonight. Christ's burial confirms he died and endured the penalty for our sin. Matthew walked us through many different viewpoints of Jesus' crucifixion and burial. I hope that you're able to glean from this scripture that God solved the greatest problem facing humankind with the most costly solution. Because Christ, fully God, fully man, suffered, died, and was buried Just penalty of sin is no longer hanging over the lives of those who trust in the son of God and his atoning sacrifice. The consequences of our sin and the just wrath of God is an eternal gift we can receive today. Just imagine what it would be like if we celebrated this incredible gift of sinful people saved by grace alone and Christ alone by faith alone every day. How will you live this truth as you go throughout your week? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your son. God, we thank you for um, your ability to think outside the box, Lord, and um, to just create your your perfect plan, God, and your perfect son. God, I just pray that you would be with us as we go into discussion groups, that our conversation would be pleasing to you, and that we would just be able to enjoy um, this time together. In your name we pray. Amen.